You've just tuned into Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Welcome back to Beyond Your Past. I'm your host, Matt Pappas, certified life coach specializing in overcoming anxiety and trauma recovery. And this podcast is all about helping you move forward from what holds you back. Each week, you'll hear from coaches, clinicians, and advocates who've overcome tremendous odds and are now using their journey to inspire you throughout yours. This is your place to feel validated and encouraged as you take your life back and live free from your past. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, what's shaking, my friend? Thanks so much for taking some time out of your day to tune into the show, and I hope that this episode inspires and encourages you on your own journey. Special welcome if you're listening to the podcast for the very first time. I hope that you'll enjoy it and perhaps consider checking out some other episodes as well. And for those of you who are regular listeners, you guys all rock. You're amazing, and I always appreciate the support so much. A big shout out to my amazing sponsors, inlpcenter.org, offering world-class online neurolinguistic programming and life coach training to people in over 70 countries. I'm honored to be able to receive my certifications from INLP Center and utilize their research and incredible training programs. And to daily recovery support, interactive daily group calls in a safe atmosphere for survivors of complex trauma, equipping you with the skills and information you can use every single day in your healing journey. Learn more about this affordable resource and get signed up at cptsdfoundation.org. If you find these podcasts helpful, please consider subscribing and leaving a review and maybe even sharing them with your friends. That would be awesome. So today I'm joined by special guest Emily Samuelson. Emily is a psychologist specializing in treating trauma and specifically sexual abuse. She is the author of Soaring Above the Ashes, Thriving Beyond Childhood Sexual Abuse, which features stories of survivors from all walks of life who have decided to end their silence and share some of their story in hopes of inspiring others to do the same. You can find her book on her website and on Amazon, and I'll link that information in the show notes. As you'll see, this was an in-person podcast recorded at her office in Maryland, not too far from where I live in PA. Emily graciously allowed me to hang out with her in person and her super cool dog, Sam, to spend some time chatting about her work with survivors, her book, and some of her own experiences in working through her memories and coming to grips with the trauma she experienced. Emily also shares insight on some key survivor skills that we can recognize and develop in our own journey. And on the topic of those skills, understand that while they did serve us for a time, and we need to acknowledge that, they might be holding us back now from healing later in life. She discusses the struggle of a child carrying the shame and blame of what happened to them all throughout their childhood and into adult life because they are unable to tell anyone, and how placing the blame on ourselves gives us a sense of control in a situation where we had no control. All this and so much more during my amazing chat with Emily Samuelson, starting right now. So hey, Emily, welcome to Beyond Your Past. How are you? I'm great today. Thanks. I am so excited to be here. We're doing something pretty cool here, something I've never done before. I'm actually... Not in my palatial home office, a.k.a. my apartment. We are actually in your office in Maryland, and we are doing this podcast right now with your super cool dog, Sam. And we're going to talk about your work and your book and survivor skills and all kinds of great stuff. But before we do that, why don't you take a minute and tell everybody who you are, what you're about, and then we'll dive into it. Okay, sounds good. Um, I'm a psychologist, and I have been for a long time. I've specialized in uh, treating trauma, especially sexual abuse. Uh, And while I was doing that kind of work with kids, I got my own memories, which I didn't know about. Um, I got them when I was 39 years old, 
And uh, that was the beginning of uh, understanding on a deeper level what happens in sexual abuse and the effects and underlying stuff and a lot about dissociation. Definitely lots of topics we cover on this show. Survivor skills, being a survivor, dissociative disorders, all kinds of stuff. So I'm super glad to be here. This is going to be a neat time. Plus, your dog is super cool. So if you guys could see this dog, in fact, maybe we'll get a picture of it later. So put in the blog post. But so um, one of the things or well, actually, why don't we just dive into your book? You can share a little bit about you know, what your book is called, what it's about, and then we'll dive into some, of, into some of the specifics in terms of survivor skills and other parts of your book. Okay. Um, my book is called Soaring Above the Ashes, Thriving Beyond Childhood Sexual Abuse. And the title came to me one night when I was walking my dog. Actually, it was another dog. Um, and the title came into my head and I wasn't planning on writing a book. It was just that phrase, which was pretty strange. And then a little while later, I, I, I thought maybe it would be good to meet with other people who have done more healing work than I have. And sometimes it gets really heavy to do this work with most of my clients, you know, histories of trauma and dealing with my own, and I I thought, well, they really need something helpful, or hopeful is really the word, and I realized, so did I. So I started uh, networking in every way I could to meet survivors of sexual abuse who would be willing to tell their stories and show their faces, because there are photos in the book, and that's a big deal of course, and um, and who were doing well, who had really found a way to work through their abuse um, so that they're thriving. And I thought, great, let me meet these people and find out what what there is to know about them and, and their process you know, and how they got to be where they are. So that was the beginning of the, you know, of the book, and it's been a very long time coming. I worked on this for many, many years. When I started, nobody was talking about thriving. Everything was about white-knuckling it through surviving. And surviving seemed to be more about like clinging to the lifeboat. It was a different time, and, uh, and people really kept their survivorhood was pretty secret. Didn't feel mm-hmm. comfortable talking about it with anybody. So to be able to find people who, especially back then, who could come forward and and be so comfortable in themselves and so forthright and so authentic, it, it was an incredible experience. And, um, you know, Part of what took me a long time was that, in in my case, my abuse, uh, my abuser was my father, and no one in my family believed me, or and nobody still does believe me. Um, so I knew if I if I came out in the book, I knew what I was risking, 
And that's actually exactly what happened. I lost my family for a few years. Nobody would talk to me. And they thought I was crazy. Uh, And some of them still think I'm crazy. (laughs) And it, it was a really difficult process. You know, writing a book itself is a major challenge. It's a really big undertaking. And I flew around the country and interviewed and photographed people, and that's big in itself. At the same time, I was doing my own healing and then confronting my family. So it's it's been something, writing the book gave me what I'm hoping it gives other people. It gave me a, helped me have my voice. Mm-hmm. Helped me dump a lot of shame uh, that I think, unfortunately, survivors carry a lot of shame. Tons of shame. Yeah. And it's it's very hard to move beyond thinking that it's about you when it happens to you. You Every kid has to believe that it couldn't possibly be the grown-up who they admire especially if it's someone in their family. And ironically, I think kids feel uh, a little more control over the situation if they believe it's their own fault. Because if it's my fault, well, then I just have to figure out how I have to do something differently, you know, who I have to be so this won't happen anymore. And... Kids aren't able to say, well, gee, my father's doing these awful things to me. My mother's not observing or pretending that she doesn't notice. So I think maybe I'll leave the family and find a job. Huh. I wonder, what, what kind of job can a five-year-old get? Mm-hmm. You know, we can't, we can't do that. We're just trapped. So we have to use all these other... Uh, techniques and strategies to cope emotionally and psychologically with you know, totally overwhelming and awful experiences. Um, so meeting the people I met and hearing what they went through and how they worked their way through the trauma was really helpful. And especially in terms of the shame, because they were so brave and um, they were able to talk so honestly about what had happened and uh, look me in the eye and not feel embarrassed or ashamed. It really helped me learn about myself and, and sharing my story with them also helped me offload a lot of shame. That's such a big thing, as we all know. Mm -hmm. It's so sad that kids, that when we're kids, we're walking around with these huge burdens, and we don't tell people. Most of the time, kids don't tell. I didn't tell anyone. Well, I don't know when I stopped remembering, but I certainly never told anyone. And... We carry these burdens with us into adulthood and have such 
distorted perceptions about who we are, as if we're somehow defined by what was done to us. And it takes so much hard work to unravel those beliefs and put the shame where it belongs, like on the backs of our perpetrators and the bystanders who don't do anything to help. Um, And then to see clearly who, or more clearly who we really are, you know, who we were as kids and who we are now, you know. Yeah, you're saying pretty much everything I sat in the therapist's office and told my therapist years ago. I'm thinking, this is my fault. I should have done this. I don't Mm -hmm. understand that. Mm -hmm. I haven't dealt with this in 30 years. Why should I start now? It doesn't affect me. I don't understand it. Right. Everything you said, I I know I told my therapist on more than one occasion. And um, there are a lot of people who who listen to this show who are survivors of all different types of abuse. A lot of them mm-hmm. are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. And they've and, and so many of them have said similar things that you have mentioned. And one of the biggest things that comes up, as you mentioned several times, is the shame factor. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, it's hard enough to sit in a, in an office with, with a therapist or a coach and talk about this stuff. But to think about writing it in a book yeah, or to think about putting it even out on a blog or a podcast, it's... It can be terrifying. It, well, it is terrifying yeah, for it, it, a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think in the process of working through my terror and finding out that my worst nightmare happened with my family um, and surviving that, um, I think it all has helped me grow. And to me, that's what it's all about: is growing beyond what happened to me so I can be who I really am in the world, kind of stand in my truth. But it's a hell of a process. It is a long process. Yeah, it's a it hard sure one. Is. And mm-hmm. So when you started to, to reach out to people for the book and you started flying around and doing interviews, and what were people's general reaction to the book? I mean, I guess, like, were they... Overall, were they excited to do it? Were they apprehensive? Were they, you know, I, I guess you probably got a wide range of reactions. Well, for the most part, people knew what they were walking into. Mm-hmm. I said, I, I will need to show your face, and you'll need to give your name and where you live and tell your story. And I'm sure, I think people did feel some degree of shame, but they knew that it really wasn't theirs to carry, even though they still felt some. Um, And amazingly, they were able to share really very obviously real personal um, information and talk about their struggles and how hard it was to heal and how much work they had to do to be able to move beyond their past. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's really what it's all about for all of mm-hmm. us, I think. No matter what we've suffered in childhood, we're all carrying burdens from childhood that distort how we see ourselves or who we think we are. And it takes a lot of work to find your way through that mess to get to the truth or 
greater truth anyway about who you are. So the people I I met were um, very open and honest. We I did like three hour interviews with people, and some people said it was the first time that they had told their story from beginning to end, and that that was really helpful to them. Uh, some people had been in groups before and had talked and they felt really at ease talking about what had happened um, to them. And everybody did it because they wanted to help other people. You know, it's all about um, being of service to the larger community. And I think that's why people were willing to put themselves out in that way. Um, yeah, and I was I was approached. This was eh, a few years ago. I had um, a couple people who did a book similar to yours, mm-hmm. where they they were reaching out to survivors wanting to get their stories. It wasn't just childhood sexual abuse; it was all different types of abuse. But they mm-hmm. had they they found my blog, the original blog, and they were like, you know, they asked me to do my story, and I did find it very empowering. It, it was a very freeing kind of feeling to be like, you know, and, and I gave my name. They didn't mm-hmm. require me to, but I did, mm-hmm. and I was just like. You know, like, I've been hiding this stuff my whole life. I've been hiding behind something I didn't even understand. I didn't even know I was hiding behind it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, I'm going to tell my story and I'm going to be, I'm going to be okay with it. Yeah, you know, that's and, great. And, and I think, yeah, and I think that's probably similar to what, as you mentioned, a lot of the other survivors who, who, who took part in your book. Did you find, or I guess I should say, did you find it a challenge to find people who were willing to speak. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> like I'm in the middle of actually doing a collaborative effort of survivor stories right now with mm. a buddy of mine and we're hoping to release it in 2019 and we want to put 50 stories together. Wow. Right now I've got about 40 and I'm hanging on 40 and I can't wow. get to 50. So, mm-hmm. so I'm thinking, I was just wondering like how much of a challenge you found in trying to get people to. to oh, it, it was a real journey and it took me, a couple of years to find people. Um, I was determined to find a diverse group, diverse racially and ethnically. Um, I wanted to find men to interview, and uh, I, there were certain issues that I wanted to make sure that I covered in the book, like abuse within the uh, an institution like the church, um, Abuse, sexu- being sexually abused by a woman, uh, recovered memory, and I was able to find someone who, who had could corroborate had someone to corroborate his memory. So, I was picking and choosing and searching. Uh, it took me about seven years to find an Asian who would come forward, and then she dropped out. Mm-hmm. I found someone else, and she dropped out. <laughs> you know, there's some communities where it's it feels so shameful and so threatening that the impulse to share is there, but then the panic set in, and I I understood it. I mean, I wasn't angry at anyone. I I really got that it just felt like too much. Um, so. I contacted every single advocacy organization I knew about 
And I asked people, do you know somebody who might be willing? And they would give me the name of someone who I would ask the same question. And I was thinking afterwards, I wish I had made some kind of a map of the different places in the country that I was, that I contacted to find people. Because what it made me realize is there's a huge community of survivors out there. And we don't always find ways to connect. But it's huge. I mean, we're talking one out of four girls and one in six boys. I mean, there's millions and millions and millions of people kind of suffering silently. Uh And uh, that's what I'm really hoping... um, can happen with my book. It's my my hope is that people will feel inspired by other people coming forward and take a step to tell their story to someone who they trust if they haven't told anyone yet. And to spread that idea that it's okay to talk about there's we're all silenced when we're kids we're we're scared and we're ashamed or some people are threatened and so it becomes this horrible secret that we carry and the we feel like we're the only one and you know we're one in four one in six there's so many of us out there and it i i just wish that we all got to a place where we could stand up and say, yeah, it happened to me. Yeah, me too. Me too. Like the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. It's really what I was hoping would happen. <laughs> and and th- because there's so many of us that then the culture can't deny that it happens. If there are, you know, thousands of people saying, well, I was sexually abused, so was I. Me too. It becomes harder and harder for perpetrators and <clears throat> excuse me and bystanders to dismiss the truth what what you're saying is so spot on and it is especially in this day and age with so much press being made now you know because you know people are, are coming out and saying yes you know this happened to me and that happened to me and so i think Obviously, the more people that we get talking about, the better, because for, right, for so long, we've all suffered in silence. I thought I was alone. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm the only one in the world this has ever happened to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it affected my, you know, I mean, mine happened between five and 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And then, but I didn't know it was affecting me in my whole life. I didn't know it was tied to self-esteem problems and, and problems with, with, with food and with self-confidence and relationships and work and everything about me. <laughs> and I'm everything. Thinking, yeah. Everything. Like it's yeah. tied, it's ties into your whole life. And when, when I, when I learned that, like it gave me so many light bulb moments of like, Oh my God, this is why I do this. This is why I did yeah. that. This is yeah. why I felt this way. Yeah. And that was empowering for me to just be able to put the pieces together and, and then, of course, once I learned one in four, one in six, I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, that's that's a sobering stat that's probably even worse now, unfortunately, than when those stats yeah. came out. But mm-hmm. that really understanding that there's a community of survivors. Well, I, I first reached out to survivors online several years ago on like a Twitter chat. 
Mm-hmm. And I and the people all around the world talking about this stuff online. I'm like, what are these people doing? <laughs> and then, but I'm like, wow, like they're survivors and we're all over the place, but everybody comes together and the survivor community is like one of the most compassionate and resilient and strong people, that group of people that I've yeah. ever met. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to, to survive what we survived. And I think when we're able to still love and have our hearts open, that's the triumph. Like, we couldn't be extinguished. Mm-hmm. That no matter what, we're still able to to love and to have compassion for other people and to want to relieve other people's suffering. Um, and that's really kind of miraculous to me that that's who we've become. It is. You know? It's an it's an incredible thing, and I just every time I meet a survivor, I'm just I'm so honored to know them because I know what they went through. I mean, not some mm-hmm. of them specifically, but the yeah. feelings and the emotions. You know, regardless of what each person experienced, a lot of this stuff still feels the same, and we all have the shame and the guilt and blaming ourselves because it's easier to blame ourselves because we can control that, you right? Know? So, exactly, and all these things. And so, in your book, um, we talk about survival skills in mm-hmm. particular. So. Maybe share a little bit about what you mean by that and give some examples so people can kind of get a better idea. Okay. What I realized for myself was that I was often trying to help my clients recognize that the things that they did to survive, the problems that they had were all attempts to survive something that was completely horrific and overwhelming. So... If someone had a substance use disorder or uh, someone was depressed or uh, if they dissociated a lot and spaced out, instead of being angry at themselves for those quote-unquote symptoms, and they are symptoms of PTSD, um, or they can be, Instead of being angry at themselves for that, would there be a way for them to appreciate those things that help them survive? And when I was helping my clients do that, I suddenly realized, well, I don't know that I've done that. You know, have I really thought about my symptoms and how they were really trying to protect me and they were great friends to have. Even if they were painful, their intention was really good. And um, so things like dissociation, I I didn't have any memories. Uh, I adored my father as everyone, everyone who knew him adored him. Because in fact, most of the time, He was a wonderful man. So, of course, I couldn't let myself remember and know because I wanted to still love him. And I did still love him. And I do still love him no matter what. Um, But I had to put that, those memories in a closet and lock the closet. But like closets everywhere, you know, if you've got a door to the closet, there's always that little bit of space underneath the door. 
where the things would creep out, and those were you know symptoms like not feeling good about myself, um, being consumed with doubt, being anxious, having feeling like I had to be perfect. Those kinds of things were all the the effects of my abuse, but since I didn't know about my abuse, I didn't know how to put them together. So I am really grateful that I was able to dissociate the memories because I have some very happy memories from childhood. And I was able to, f- to do well in school and really care about learning. And I was able to establish a career that I love and do work that's so important to me. That's my mission. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I couldn't dissociate. So, and I especially wouldn't, I think I would have a really hard time working with other survivors if I weren't able to put my stuff uh, somewhere else while I'm in session with people, mm-hmm. you know, so I can still connect empathically, but I'm not getting triggered every minute. And that ability has really served me and served my clients. So that's one thing that's been uh very helpful for me, and I know it has been for lots and lots of people. Who, me too. <laughs> yeah, right. Who you, you can't walk around knowing this stuff all the time until you're ready. And for me, life kind of pummeled me at a certain time, and there were so many things that were beating me down that I kind of cracked open, and my memories came through. And in retrospect... I mean, obviously, I was ready to. I had to be. I had to have my my sense of myself uh, kind of attacked in order to crack me open to something so awful. So, I look at at the time I got my memories. I was still in the process of uh, going through a divorce, and I had a, a two year old. And I was going to be a single mom and support myself and her and blah, blah, blah. And I look back on it now and I'm so grateful that I had such a tough time because it cracked me open. And that's what's allowed me to do my healing work. So let's hear it for dissociation. (laughs) Yay. And and now I have to work sometimes to stay in my body because, of course, these habits that we develop, these things that help us survive, they're hard to let go of. They're hard to change, mm-hmm. but but it's possible. Yeah, I the first time when I years ago when a therapist told me I was dissociated, I said, "What the hell are you talking about?" Like yeah. I'd never even heard of it. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. Right, and 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 she's like, and I'm like dissociating, and she kind of told me what it was a little bit, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, I've been doing that my whole life, <laughs> like exactly. literally. I mean, my memories. I, I remember telling her, and I've said this multiple times on this podcast, is my memories were in a shoebox in the bottom of my closet covered up with laundry and shoes in the darkest place that you could possibly find. Yeah. For years. And it was just there. And, like, now you mentioned, like, every once in a while something would creep out and, you know, a memory would come up. I mean, I wasn't unaware of what happened. I knew I was a survivor. I knew what happened to me. Mm-hmm. But I didn't tell anybody, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. so many of your 
of your participants in your book have probably said, like, we didn't tell anybody, we didn't say anything, we, we, we weren't about to bring it up because of fear and shame and, and, and threats and any number of things. So the sense, and of course, the dissociation um, oftentimes could have saved your life, especially right in the act of, of the abuse, going, going to a different place, not, you're not being fully present, but then years later, understanding where that came from and why you couldn't talk about it for you now and understanding that now dissociation you know again probably saved your life and helped you yeah. and now at times it can kind of be a bit of a pain mm-hmm. because you, you you're right because you mentioned it's like well i want to be fully present and i have to be now but now now i want to feel things well now i can't feel them and it's it, it can be a bit of a struggle yeah for sure because they've been so helpful and they become you know, these things become woven into who we are in the world. Like I think about um, how people minimize all the time, how people minimize their abuse. And you know, somebody will say, well, I mean, it really wasn't that bad. It was, it was my uncle. It wasn't my father. Okay. Well, it wasn't that bad. It was uh, fondling. At least it wasn't intercourse. Well, it was just intercourse, but at least it wasn't anal penetration. <laughs> and then that, you know, everybody. It's amazing what you can justify. Right? Yeah. Right. And it's fabulous to be able to do that because it keeps the the realization of how horrific it was when we're able to kind of dismiss it and minimize it. When we finally get to a place of realizing, whoa, this is awful what happened to me. That's the beginning of healing. And we're still going to minimize, and we have to catch ourselves. I do it. I yeah, still minimize. Right, right. I mean, for me, to, like, for me to believe my memories, since I had that dissociation muscle, so to speak, was so well-developed that I would have a flashback, and then a, when it was over, I'd say, oh, I must be making it up. It can't be. Mm-hmm. And I went through that, and I think that's what people do with all of their defenses. And if you minimize, it's what helps you survive. You know, some people have to survive by uh, abusing substances, which, you know, of course it bites them to do that, but it it helps them get to a place, hopefully, when they get clean and sober, that they can start to deal with everything that happened from a stronger place you know we have to numb out and you know substances are a great way to numb out and not feel so of course we do those things and i think i think it's really helpful to appreciate them and kind of thank them those strategies have have served you for a time and going back to what we said earlier in the beginning these strategies you know, might have saved your life and stuff, but and they've also now, as you move forward, they can be a bit of a problem because you stay in survivor mode, you stay in victim mode, and you and sometimes we go to the the numbing, stuffing, and avoiding route because it's what we default to, it's what we know, mm-hmm. and then as we learn more healthy coping skills and, and we end our silence and we're reaching out for help and getting therapy or whatever it is that we're doing, you get you get this empowered feeling to where. You want to try and explore ways to thrive more than just being a survivor. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm all about being a survivor. Like the first time a therapist told me I, I was a survivor, 
I'm like, this is, I'm like, what are you talking about? But then when I embrace the survivor and I'm like, yeah, like, you know, I've been through all kinds of hell and, and now I'm still here. And, but then as I moved along, I realized I acknowledge being a survivor and it was important, but now I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be a survivor anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I've got to find a way to move past what served me for a time, but now is holding me back. Exactly. That's what my book's about. Mm-hmm. That's the whole idea of continuing to move through things so that we can be more of who we really are and get to a place where our life feels meaningful and we have moments of joy and our hearts are open as much as we can let them be. At times, it's not easy. Um, And moving beyond surviving, is it's it's a hell of a challenge. But... The more we face what we experienced and I think take a look at the ways that we protected ourselves and start to find new ways of working with those parts of us. And sometimes, you know, it, it, it's like the parts, like you said, have really served us well, but maybe it's time for them to retire. Like, let's have a party. Give them a party. Shower them with appreciation, give them a gold watch, and see if there's some other job they want to do. And uh, I think for me, a lot of the things that I had to do had to do to survive have also turned into gifts in a way. Like I think about hypervigilance. It's not fun to always be scanning the environment for danger. It you can't breathe freely and be at ease because that's what hypervigilance does. It keeps you on edge so you can scan. Well, it also helps you become really observant. And you notice the little tiny things in people and the shift in their body or the expression that comes across their face and then disappears and that's what I need to use in my work. That's fascinating. And like you probably saw my face just now because yeah. when you, I mean, I mean I, I, I've talked about hypervigilance before. I've had people who've talked about it, I've written about it. And it, all, it has such a bad rap. And I mean, obviously for good reason, because as you said, you're scanning, you're not able to relax. Everybody's mm-hmm. out to get me. What's going to happen? You know, who's looking at me? All, all, all the right. stuff we do with it. Right. And, but then it, you don't always realize that this stuff that even is a result or can be a result of being a survivor and going through trauma actually does have, I don't want to say a silver lining, but maybe kind of sort of it is, or a benefit of you're a lot more in tune with your surroundings and with people that does help you communicate more. So that's, I think that's, that's something really cool because I, you know, we always just equate high hypervigilance as being a pain, which it is, Mm -hmm. but finding something good about it that that serves you is really cool. You're just reframing into something good. Yeah. Well, especially when you're able to let go of the fear, then you just have the ability to see and to notice without the fear when you work your way through your abuse. And it's just a skill you have. You just pick up on things from people. You pick up on energy, the things that you needed to do to survive. You don't need to do them to survive anymore, but they can enhance your 
experience you know, that can enhance what's going on in your life. And for me, a lot of these things, the ability to dissociate hypervigilance without fear, I learned how to tune into what other people need. That's a good thing in my work. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing in my life. And it's a really good thing that I know it's not my responsibility to take care of everybody anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I don't have to keep myself safe by keeping everybody happy. Yeah. You know, so I can get the benefits of being attuned to people's needs. And I don't have to do anything about what I notice unless I choose to. That's really different. Yeah, that's huge. Not, not having to set yourself on fire to keep everybody else warm isn't. Right, it's a, right. It's a huge That's realization. A way to put it. Yeah. Somebody told me that one time mm-hmm. and it took a minute to sink in. I'm like, no, nah, I use it all the time. But yeah, yeah but being able to, to, to help people in your field, obviously, and then be able to separate and, you know, when they're unloading horrific memories and be able to keep that separation or distance enough to be able to help them is just, it's huge. And, you know, it's just another skill that you've, that you've acquired and developed over time through your own experiences, through the training and I'm sure your clients benefit from and, but now this has been incredible. I'm just, I'm so glad that we were able to talk about this and let's go ahead and we'll, we'll wrap it up here now. And of course, give uh, Sam a chance to say goodbye, although he's sleeping (laughs) on the couch. So, Um, but let everybody know where they, you know, more about your book. If you have a website, any way they can contact you if they have questions. Okay, sure. I have a website, soaringabovetheashes.com. And I've got a little bit of information about the book and a couple of photos of some of the people in the book. And also, you can purchase the book there. It's also on Amazon. I think it's a little cheaper if people get it through my website. <laughs> but And if anybody has questions, I can I, I give you my email. Please, go. Okay. It's Samuelson, S-A-M-U-E-L-S-O-N, zero one at comcast.net and if you do email me put something in the subject heading so i know to respond or to read it and uh, that would be great i'm always happy to communicate with survivors about anything and everything cool awesome emily this has been so awesome i'm so glad that we were able to to to, to, to get schedules to work out, to come down here and chat for a bit. And I would love to do it again in the future. So thanks great. again for coming on the show. I definitely appreciate it. Thank you. I'm glad to have the opportunity. It's great to meet you. Thanks for listening to Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Information shared on this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for or supersedes professional medical help or mental health counseling. Thank you again to my sponsors, INLPcenter.org and Daily Recovery Support. I hope you'll consider checking them out as they've joined forces to help keep the lights on here at the podcast and help Beyond Your Past reach as many as possible with a message of hope. If you'd like to learn more about working with me as your coach, or if you're curious about what life coaching is and how it might be right for you, then head on over to beyondyourpast.com and claim your free one-hour session where we can talk about the struggles in your life in the areas of anxiety and trauma recovery and see if coaching might be a great fit for you. Thanks again for listening, and I do hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and share it with all your friends. See you next time.